Thank you for checking out this podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. Good morning. How are we all doing? Good. I'm waiting for Nick to go to push some buttons to make things appear on the screens behind us. Um, so I'm going to take a selfie with you guys because you look good. I mean, like real good. Don't worry, it'll be on the internet. So, are you guys smiling? I can't tell. Did you smile? Okay. Pastor Brandon smiled. Look at that. As if by magic. Thank you, Tessa. Um, last week, we started our sermon series, My Story. And this week, we're going to continue. That's kind of the thing with the series is you start it, and then it keeps going. But you guys knew that. So I'm going to pray and we'll begin. God, we love you. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that we can learn from it. God, that we can grow, that we can become more like you. God, I pray that you would soften our hearts today. God, help us to hear and to be able to apply what we learn from your word. God, I thank you for your presence in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is me. Why are you guys laughing? Is it funny when a guy gets a diploma? Or is it funny when he makes a stupid face for the picture that he takes with his you know, after I put this picture on the Facebook and like more people liked it than any other picture I've ever put on Facebook, I thought I might have should have made a different face. But that, that thought only lasted a minute. I was like, no, because this is the kind of face that you would expect me to make if I was taking a selfie with my diploma. Um, that's who I is. So last Tuesday, I drove all the way down to Portland and I picked up my diploma. It had been there for a couple of weeks and they emailed me and said, hey, you should probably come get this. Um, they also had $15 that they emailed me like three months ago and said, hey, this was in your account. We don't want to write you a check because it's only $15. Um, I hadn't gone to get that yet. So I got my diploma and $15, um, which I used to buy a Baconator the next day. So good. Um, and I think I know where the diploma is, but the Baconator was great. But I drove down to Portland. And I picked up my diploma because I earned my bachelor's degree from Multnomah University in leadership and ministry. Now, well, thank you. Thank you. Now, if you had known me in, in middle school or high school, and some of you did, um, because of my parents, um, you might not have expected me to be the kind of guy who would earn a college degree. Um, when I was in the eighth grade, I played basketball. I mean, from kindergarten until my first senior year, I played basketball. And in the eighth grade, I was on academic probation, which meant I wasn't doing well enough in school to play basketball, but if I had my work done each week, I could play basketball. The basketball coach was also my homeroom teacher. I'm not positive I was actually caught up every week. But I played basketball because I got my paper signed that says I was caught up. And then in high school, I played basketball, and I still had to get a paper signed every year or every week that said I was caught up. Um, I wasn't really what you would call a star student. Um, I was probably barely what would you, call, you would call a student. I was more of a show up and have fun during class and not do your homework kind of guy. Um, teachers loved me, loved having me in class, hated that I didn't do my homework, got a lot of talks, telling me about potential and try hard and you know, all those things that teachers tell the kids that aren't doing what they're supposed to. Um, but I was that kid, and I actually spent five years in high school because if you don't do anything for the first two, it's really hard to do enough in the last two to get you to where you're supposed to be. So thanks, Dad, for paying the private school tuition another year. Sorry. 
Um, but you wouldn't expect me to get that diploma. I spent five years in high school, failed a few classes, and just didn't do the work or put forth the effort. It took a lot of work and a lot of help to earn my degree from a lot of people. I couldn't have done it by myself. Um, but we want to remember my lack of performance in high school didn't keep me from earning my degree. Um, it made it really hard to earn my degree because I'm not really always a self-starter. Did you know in online classes, if you don't log in, there's nobody to tell you that you're behind? Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Um, but I had a lot of help from family to earn that degree. It took me longer than it should have, um, but I'm happy to have it, and I'm actually taking more courses towards a graduate certificate. I don't know why. I don't like school, but I keep doing it. Oftentimes, we will look at something in our lives and decide that that disqualifies us from what God has for us. Now, it's easy to say um, that we can never lead someone to Christ because we don't understand the Bible well enough. We can say, God won't use me to do this um, or to be as good as so-and-so because I've had a hard time with this sin and not doing it, and that makes it so that I can't do this. We can look at certain sins and decide that they should disqualify someone from serving God. We wouldn't say that God can't forgive those sins, but there's sins that we look and go, man, he's been through that. God probably won't do this with him. But, um, but God doesn't always look at things in the same way as we do. Does everybody know who this is? Who? No, it's Goliath. David's the little one on the left. So I, should, I guess I should have been more clear. Bad question asking. Yes, the one on the left is David. And what's David about to do? Kill a giant. And when we think of David, what do we think of? This picture, him being the king. In the Bible, we find the story of David, who was a man after God's own heart, a man who killed a bear, a lion, and a big dude. When he was a teenager, a man who was Israel's greatest king. But David also dealt with sexual sin. And today we're going to look at the story of David and Bathsheba. I'm not going to read the whole story because I don't like to read. So I'm going to tell it to you and then we'll read parts of it. So David... He was the king, so he lived in the palace, right? You guys still with me? Okay. David was the king. He lived in the palace. Uh, the, the verses in 2 Samuel 11 tell us it was the time where kings go to war. You know what David did? He did not go to war. So then one day, David got up. He got dressed, and he was walking around on his roof, because I guess if you have a palace roof, you walk around on it. I totally would. And he saw a girl taking a bath. Her name was Bathsheba. He thought she was pretty. The Bible tells us she was pretty. He sent for her. He found out that she was the wife of Uriah. So he slept with her, which isn't what you should do if you find out that somebody is somebody else's wife. He slept with her. She got pregnant, which is bad because she has a husband. So he sent for Uriah to come back from battle. He says, hey, Uriah, go home. See your family. Uriah was a good soldier. He said, David, the men I'm serving with are in, in tents and sleeping in the field. I can't go home. He slept outside the palace, didn't go home. So David's first plan to cover up his sin failed. Um, so he decided that since Uriah wouldn't go home, he would have Uriah killed. So he writes a note to the leader of the army that says, hey, go into battle, pull back, leave Uriah, and let him die. He gives that note to Uriah to deliver. Uriah takes it, delivers it. They do that, Uriah dies. Bathsheba mourns Uriah's death, and then David marries her. They have a son. Um, the, um, before, before they have a son, sorry, um, the prophet Nathan comes and talks to David, tells him a story, 
about a sheep and a man and pretty much um, tells David that um, a man had a, sh- had a bunch of sheep, but he took his servant's sheep and killed it to feed his guest. Um, David's like, that man should die for what he did. And Nathan's like, that man is you because of what you did with Bathsheba. David repents. They have a son. God tells David that his son will die. David prays and fasts and does everything he can, seeking God for his son not to die. But his son dies. They have more sons. One of their sons is Solomon, who then becomes the next king of Israel, one of the wisest fellows ever. But there are four things from this story that we're going to draw our attention to today after we just flew through the story. The first one is that David was where he shouldn't have been. In verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Oftentimes, um, we get into trouble when we're not where we're supposed to be. David knew better. David knew where he was supposed to be, but he stayed home, and that led to some bad things. The second thing, David's sin got real messy real quick. It started with the affair with Bathsheba, and that's horrible. But then he lied, and then he had a man killed. And it didn't take long for David to be stuck in the sin he was in. Trying to deal with it himself led to more sin and more sin and more sin and led him down a path that... I'm pretty sure he didn't want to go. I've never talked to David, but my guess is he didn't think that that sexual sin would lead to having a man murdered. But it led him there, and it led him there quick. Um, Verse 14 of chapter 11 of 2 Samuel says, So the next morning David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. Because of David's first sin and his wanting to cover that up, That led him deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. The next thing we're going to look at is that even though David was repentant, there were consequences. When Nathan confronted uh, David, he repented. He was sorry for what he'd done. He turned and was doing everything he could to make it right. But that didn't take away the consequences. Oftentimes when, when we sin, and we realize it, and we repent. We want consequences to be gone. I have a 10-year-old daughter. Uh, when she does something, and then she says she's sorry, um, her hope is that saying she's sorry makes everything all better. And sometimes it does, because she's really cute. But a lot of times there are still consequences. No matter how repentant we are, we have to deal with the consequences for what we've done. So even though David had repented, his son that was conceived in sin, the Lord took, and he died. Uh, Verse 13 of chapter 12 tells us David's confession. He confessed to David. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. So David had repented. He had been forgiven. Forgiveness does not make it so there won't be consequences. And the last thing. His past did not disqualify him from the future that God had had for him. Like I said, Solomon was one of David's sons. Solomon was the son of David and Bathsheba, the woman who he committed adultery with and then married. God used Solomon to be a great king, to be a wise king. David's past did not disqualify him from the future that God had. In Acts 13, 
uh, verse 21, it says, Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And we had removed him. He raised up David to be the king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who would do all my work. And later in that chapter, in verse 36, it's, it's talking about David at the end of his life. It says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. David's sin had consequences. David's sin affected him and his nation. But David's sin, after he repented, did not disqualify him from what God had for him. And we need to remember that our past does not disqualify us from the future that God has for us. If you're taking notes, you should write that down. If you're not taking notes, you shouldn't. You should write that down. Um, if Zach were to read that to us, he would say, our past does not disqualify us from the future that God has for us. Because I have slides like that in youth, and that's how he reads it for me. Our past does not disqualify us. We've all been through things. We've all seen things. We've all done things. Uh, and we've come through things. And a lot of times, we let those things weigh on us, and we let those things hold us back. Now, maybe we don't feel like we can relate um, to David so much. I'm not a king. My guess is that none of you are kings. If you are, let me know. I'd love to have you take me to lunch because kings are fairly wealthy. And I've never cheated on my wife and then have someone killed to cover it up. I hope that you haven't as well. But there is a problem with lust, pornography, and sexual addiction. Um, according to a survey conducted by the Barna Group in the U.S. in 2014, the following percentages of men say they view pornography at least once a month. 18 to 30-year-olds, 79% of them. 31 to 49-year-olds, 67%, and 50 to 68-year-olds, 49%. Other percentages for viewing it several times a week um, for 18 to 30-year-olds is 63%. 31 to 49-year-olds is 38%, and 50 to 68-year-olds is 25%. And the following percentages of, of women, 18 to 30-year-olds is 76, 31 to 49 is 16, 50 to 68 is 4%. And later in those stats, it tells us that 55% of married men say they watch porn at least once a month, compared to 70% of non-married men. And we can look at those stats, and it's easy to think those are stats for the world. We've got to be doing a lot better in the church, because we're the church, and we know better. But according to a survey conducted by the Barnard Group, the same survey, 64% of self-identified Christian men and 15% of self-identified Christian women view pornography at least once a month compared to 65% of non-Christian men and 30% of non-Christian women. So according to this survey, as a church, as people who call ourselves Christians, we are 1% different than the world in this area. And we can look at those stats and think that's another church. That's in another town. That's probably in Seattle because they're crazy up there. And, and maybe the numbers are different here, but no matter what the numbers are here in Richfield, here at Mountain View, if there is one man wrestling or struggling with pornography and sexual addiction who feels like he has nowhere to turn, that's too many. If we don't talk about this as a church, we leave them wrestling alone because it is hard to seek out help. And if we try to fight this battle on our own, we'll fail. I know this because I tried to fight this battle for a long time. Um, from the time I was like 12 or 13, when I first saw a magazine at a friend's house, in the woods um, that his friend had left there. It's been something I've fought. And when you're that young, you're like, oh, this will get better when I get older, or well, this won't be a bad thing. It's a couple of magazines. And then you get older, and, and then it gets worse. 
and you try to deal with it by yourself, you think, well, when I get married, this problem will go away. So you just deal with it, and you pray harder, and you try harder. Um, and then it doesn't go away. Just trying harder, for me, never worked. Getting married didn't fix the problem. Uh, once I was married, then I had to lie and be deceitful. My sin took me farther than I wanted to go. I had to lie and be deceitful. I felt guilty. I prayed harder. I tried harder. I felt worse. I knew that I couldn't do this on my own, but I didn't want anybody to know, and that shame kept me from sharing that, which kept me from healing. The last church that we were at was a place that they were dealing with this issue. Now, the pastor had gone through counseling and gone through the healing pr process, and it was an issue that the church was willing to talk about and to deal with. In August of 2014, I told my wife, and we sought help from Pastor Nick. I joined a pure desire group um, so that where I could process through my sexual addiction and work towards healing. Um, it's been a little over a year, and it's been one of the hardest things I've ever walked through. But it has been absolutely worth it. Um, it was hard to tell Nicole because um, she had a right to hate me after that. I didn't want her to hate me. It was hard to admit to other men, friends, pastors, what I'd been doing and what I'd been hiding for so long. And sharing this with you guys is scary. But I'm trusting that God will use this to help bring healing to some who need it. Like I said, if, if, there's, if there's one guy at Mountain View that needs help walking through this, I want him to have that help. We look at sexual sin so often and we think it disqualifies us. You know, we're okay if, if, if people get angry. Like, yeah, he's dealing with anger. That's okay. We're kind of okay if people have a foul mouth when they're away from church. Yeah, he has a foul mouth, but he can still, he can still serve. A lot of times this sin we look at, it, and it, it is such a horrific sin. It is such a gross sin. It is such a hurtful sin. But it does not disqualify people from doing God's work. The devil used... The devil used this trap against me for so long, but as I've gone through the healing process, I look forward to the Lord using me to be able to help others who are caught in the trap of sexual addiction. It's not very much possible. I've heard, I think, one person in my whole life say he prayed and God took away uh, his problem with lust. Um, I've heard personally 50, 60, 70 guys say that they've prayed and prayed and prayed on their own and still wrestled with it. And I had prayed for years and still wrestled with it um, from a teenager until, until recently, praying, doing it by myself, and it doesn't work. We have a problem. We as a nation have a problem. We as Christians have a problem. And if we are unwilling to talk about this problem, it will just continue. Secrecy and shame are the weapons that the devil will use to keep us trapped in sexual bondage. Not wanting anybody else to know because we're so ashamed will keep us where we can't get the healing that we need. Modern science allows, and this is a quote from Dr. Jeffrey something, he's a smart guy. Modern science allows us to understand that the underlying nature of an addiction to pornography is chemically nearly identical to a heroin addiction. And most of us wouldn't look at someone who is addicted to heroin and think, man, if they loved God more and prayed more and tried harder, they'd probably be able to kick heroin. We all understand that heroin addiction is something that people aren't going to beat by themselves. But we often look at people who deal with lust and pornography addiction and sexual addiction, and we say, man, if they loved God more 
They wouldn't do that. Trying harder won't work. Um, but if, if we are struggling with pornography, it's often an attitude that we have about it. Just try harder. But we need others. Like I need others to finish my degree. Because I'm not the kind of guy that can go out and get a degree. Not the kind of guy that can pass algebra the first time. I'm the kind of guy that can get A's in English for the last three years of high school after failing it. But we need other people. We need people to say, I'm paying for this school. So when you get home from school, you're going to sit and do English and lock me in my room to do my correspondence course because I still needed one more semester of English. We need people to come along and keep us accountable. We need others. We cannot conquer this by trying harder. Um, One thing I like to do here at Mountain View is start a group called the Conquer Series. It is a six-week course. um, And if you are struggling with this, absolutely join us. If you're not struggling with this, but you know something that is, join us. If you are a man and you're breathing, I encourage you to join us. Um, This is a six-week course that just walks us through so we understand more. So even if if some of you are like, I've never struggled with this and I never planned to, I would encourage you to be here because you probably have friends that are or friends that do. And sometimes they might come to you and talk to you. And if, if you have a better understanding of, of what somebody in sexual addiction is going through, you can help them. So we're going to start a Conquer series. It's going to be on probably Tuesdays or Thursday nights, starting sometime in the end of February. And I will get you guys more information. Um, every man, man at some point, from the intro of the Conquer series, it says every man at some point will be tempted to sin sexually. The difference between prevailing and failing comes down to having a battle plan. And that's what this Conquer series gives you. It gives you a plan to, to face this. As I went through um, my Pure Desire group, which is about a year in a thick book, and you learn a lot of information, a lot of helpful stuff, there's one thing that you do that's super helpful, and it's called a faster scale. And it just has a way of walking through your week so you can see what led you to where you were. Because a lot of times, if it's something you're struggling with, with anything you're struggling with, you don't realize you're doing it until you're doing it. If it's anger, if it's sexual sin, if it's spending too much money, a lot of times, you know, you'll yell at your kids and be like, hey, I just yelled at my kids. I shouldn't have done that. But if you look at your day and go, oh, this happened and this happened and this happened, and that's kind of what put me there to where yelling at my kids was what seemed like the best reaction. This has been incredibly helpful because I look at my week and go, oh, this happened, and I was bored and I was tired and I was overwhelmed. And when I'm overwhelmed, I procrastinate. And when I procrastinate, I'm not where I should be. I'm walking on a palace wall and I see things. And at that point, I'm not going to make the right choice. But if we have that battle plan, we know, oh, I'm alone in my house today working on schoolwork, and I'm overwhelmed. I'm either going to go to the library and work on this, or I'm going to call somebody and say, hey, this is what I'm doing today. I'm going to call you in a few hours and let you know how I did. When you have that plan, when you have that accountability, when you have God's help and God's grace, we're able to beat this. These are confidential groups, so if you're worried about joining and people knowing, nobody will know except the guys in that group with you. And maybe joining a group isn't something for you right now, but if this is something you wrestle with as a man or woman, please talk to somebody. Secrecy and shame are the only weapons that the devil uses to keep us trapped in sexual bondage. When people know when you have that accountability, you can start the healing process. When you're just trying to try harder or do better, you can't. Our past does not disqualify us from the future that God has for us. For so long, I've, I've felt called to be a youth pastor since I was like 
15. I was probably this tall when I was 15, but like 125 pounds. So if you think I'm scrawny now, you should have seen me in high school. Played basketball and I was tall enough to play in the post. Um, I wasn't tall enough to stay standing in the post because dudes were big and I wasn't. But our past does not disqualify us from the future that God has for us. For so long, I wrestled with this sexual addiction and this call to be a pastor because they don't really go together. They don't. And, and I wasn't going to help when I was trying. And, you know, I'd, I'd ha- go through six months. I'd go through a year of not stumbling, of not family. Like, I'm like, all right, I'm doing it. And then something would happen that would put me in that place again. I was like, I failed. But we have to remember that our path does not disqualify us from future that God has for us. And this was kind of tricky to say because I don't want to say that our sin doesn't disqualify us. If you're living in unrepentant sin, you probably won't be used like God, by God how you should. But because you've done something, because it's in your past, because you've made mistakes, doesn't disqualify us. Me wrestling with sexual bondage and sexual addiction for the better part of my life doesn't mean that God isn't going to use the rest of my life to help bring healing and freedom to other men and to do what he's called me to do, which I'm very grateful for. One thing is that only 7% of churches have any program whatsoever for men with sexual addiction. Um, now, I'm not real good with math. We, we talked about the algebra. But if 64% of the men in the church are struggling with it, and 7% of the churches have any plan whatsoever, um, if this is something that's already hard to talk to somebody about, and we're making men go search for one of those 7%, 93% of those men struggling with this are at a church that aren't actively dealing with this. I want Mountain View to be a place where we can talk about this. I want to be a person that people can come to and can say, I don't have the answers. I know it sucks. I know it's hard. But let's walk through this together. Because when you're trapped and seeking help is an incredibly hard thing to do. So I want to do everything we can to make it easy for people to seek help. My hope is that Mountain View will be a place where it's okay to talk about this. When we're willing to talk about the issue, men and women will be able to get the help that they need to break free from sexual addiction. If we're unwilling to talk about it, it'll be our secret. And if it's our secret, it'll destroy our lives. If we're willing to talk about it, if we're willing to walk through the issues, if we're willing to have hard conversations that aren't any fun at all, but they bring us to a place of healing. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read this slide three more times, because if you get nothing else today, I want you to know that I love you, and I'm happy to serve with you guys, and I'm so grateful for where God has me, but also that no matter what your sin is, that your past does not disqualify you from the future that God has. God, we love you. God, I thank you for your great grace. God, I thank you that there is power in your blood to forgive us of sins. God, I pray that you would make Mountain View a place where we're willing to talk about hard things. God, where we're willing to walk through with our friends times in their lives that are hard to get to where you have for us. God, that sin and shame and secrecy wouldn't have any power here. God, that we could bring healing 
to men, that we can bring healing to families, God, that they could serve you, God, that they could accomplish what you've called them to. God, help us to seek your face. God, help us to never try and do this on our own power, but God, to rely on your grace. God, to rely on your power. Jesus, we thank you. We're coming to earth. We're dying on a cross so that we could stand before God forgiven. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. For more information, you can find us online at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.